Hi, I'm Jennifer Isabella. I'm Victor Milligan. Your co-hosts for Forrester's podcast, What It Means, where we explore the major changes in the market influencing executive priorities. Here with us today is Brendan Witcher, Principal Analyst at Forrester, to talk about the state of retail. Welcome, Brendan. Hi, thanks. Happy to be here. So, Brendan, to start the conversation, retailers showed 4% growth in 2016, but many of those same retailers came out and said that they struggled in 2016, and some of their earnings and forecasts actually showed that to be true as well. So sort of a mixed bag of tricks there. What's happening? So what we're seeing is that, um, you know, you have individual retailers coming out, uh, making reports that they, they didn't do as well as they, they thought they were going to do in uh, this particular holiday season. That's not to say that the retail industry themselves weren't as healthy as they've ever been. So what is that story? The, the story here is that you've got far more retailers in this space. You've got brands going direct. You have people like Wish and uh, Orchard Mile and other people's entering the space, offering more choice for the consumers. And then you have retail stores themselves having more square footage than they've ever had in the past. And so what ends up happening is you have this, this finite number of buyers because you can't create buyers, right? There's just a finite number of buyers. And right. it's, it's kind of the law of ne- economics kicking in at this point where what ends up happening is more people have more choices. Um, you know, there's there's also more retailers offering more assortments. And so they're, they're spreading those dollars out among retailers, which is why you see that 4% increase uh, in the retail industry last year. And yet so many of those retailers that are more traditional retailers uh, having a decline in sales. Right. So when I, when I did the background research for this, I, I came in with a supposition that it was the have and have nots. That was sort of the Amazon effect, which is the digital guys were stealing from the traditional guys and the traditional guys were really struggling. We're going to see sort of the next assault on brick and mortar. But that actually is not what's true. You know, a lot of people do think that. They think that all that business is going to Amazon. And if you look at the numbers, it just doesn't play out that way. You've got people that have shown declines that simply Amazon numbers do not make up for it. And, and online pure plays to some degree can, can make up for some of those numbers, but it's not all moving to online space. I think it's important to note that we have not seen this huge move into online, this huge jump in 2017, any more than we've seen over the last 20 years of commerce. It has grown steadily. It's continued to grow steadily. And this year doesn't make up for any other year. Um, it's, it's about the same rate. And so what's really happening is just spreading it out across more retailers. So what, what's the common thread? If it's not the digital guys coming in, it's not traditional guys struggling, what is common among it that, that they come out and say, we're struggling or those that are doing well aren't struggling, but actually doing quite well. Yeah, I, I love that people that stores are coming out and saying, "Oh, we're struggling, so we're closing stores." As if stores is their problem. These companies don't have problems because they have stores. They have problems because they have brand problems. Um, they have problems with uh, understanding what today's customers expect and what today's customers needs. I mean, if you think about it, you could take some a lot of these companies that said they've they're closing stores and they've had problems. You can take a consumer, blindfold them, stick them in the middle of any of these stores, take the blindfold off, and say, "What store are you in?" That consumer wouldn't be able to tell you where they're at. And what that tells you as a person is that they haven't differentiated, right? Right. With so many parts of our lives are different today. The way we order food, the way we book a hotel or a plane, and the way that we even order a car, right, for for travel um, has all been digitized. It's all different. But yet our stores are still, we walk in, we pull something off the shelf, and we go to a point of sale and we leave. That's just not exciting anymore for today's hyper-stimulated customer. This is not what they find exciting. And the, they're moving their business to companies that create personalized, relevant, um, contextual experiences for, for themselves, for each individual customer that makes them say, yeah, I like this experience. This is, this is different and I'm enjoying this. So the physical space is almost like the untouched frontier. It which is. is. It is a new place where I can truly innovate, but I sort of see it as old school kind of stuff. 
Yeah, that's absolutely true. Um, today's retailers, the leading retailers we see that are out there um, that have really differentiated themselves have turned their places to shop into places to engage. Mm -hmm. Like that is the key. That's really that's really how you turn what what most retailers think of their stores as liabilities into assets. So is that why folks like Warby Parker are opening brick and mortar locations? Yeah, brick and mortar still has a high attractive rate for consumers today. Mm -hmm. Remembering that of about the $3.5 trillion that happen in retail sales every year, you've got uh, close to $400, $500 billion of that being online. Mm -hmm. You know, for all, the, for all the headlines and media attention that online gets, that's it. Yep. $3 trillion of what happens in retail every year is in physical spaces. And I think it's really important to remember that that isn't going to change anytime soon. The reason it's not going to change is because it's not up to us or up to retailers where customers shop. They shop in different channels that meet their needs. So today's customer who shop uh, in a physical space, they still want to touch and feel a product. They still want that product today. And you can't change that. that that's something that they need. And so that's why they shop in a certain channel. So when I want to buy a couch and I want to feel what, it, what it's like to sit on that couch, mm -hmm. You can't deliver that to me online, period. That's right. end of story, right? Right. So it's my need, and my needs get fulfilled. Now, if I'm going to order bananas, I kind of know what a banana's like, yeah. and I'm pretty comfortable getting a banana delivered to me if I need to because a banana's a banana's a banana, right? I've heard that before. Right. It's a common <laughs> phrase. Uh, and so I think that it's really important to remember that each customer isn't an online or offline customer, right? My mom doesn't wake up every morning and say, I'm going to be an online customer today. She goes through her day, and when she wants to buy something, she thinks about the most convenient place to buy it, and that's what she does, and that's how they shop. Right? Well, let's go back to the concept of shopping in the physical space because mm -hmm. my understanding is there's more and more discovery happening in the digital space, which is the reason I'm actually in the store is because I successfully maneuvered through the digital environment, and you got me there. You got me interested in a select set of products that I do want to touch and feel and sort of experience. And, and that is the key to where online really plays, and this is the miss that most retailers make. They forget that of that huge number of people that shop in stores, that $3 trillion, nearly half of them go online first and do their research, find the price they want, decide the product they're going to want, even decide the company they're going to buy from, and then still go into the physical to shop. They have a checkout right there in front of right. them, and they don't choose to use it. Mm -hmm. There's a reason for that. And so, so they're going to continue to do that. That's the big growth area over the next five years. And that's where we need to think about how are we addressing these customers that use our websites to shop. I, I think an interesting stat to note is that for every customer that comes online and buys from you, there are three more that go online and still shop in your store. That means 75% of the time customers are not using your website to buy things. They're using their website to decide whether to buy from you. But the purchase decision is happening on the digital standpoint and then being transacted in the store. Correct. Or, or there's a strong intent, and I'm going to go to the store to find out differences between two products. Correct. Okay. Correct. They're making some levels of decisions, but they're not necessarily converting on your website, which is why when I hear people say, we measure success of our websites based on conversion, why? Three out of four of your customers are judging you based on experience, not on whether or not to buy from you at that point. Mm -hmm. The compensation will be the next podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't that go to, I think, you were mentioning this sort of channel blindness, right? Your mom doesn't think of herself as an online consumer and then an in-store consumer. But isn't that how retail organizations are organized? They like, still think that way. Yeah. And some of that is evident in some of the announcement we've seen recently. Um, there, was a, there was a company that came out. Um, I'll never forget it. It was, it was just at the end of last year. Um, it was the most interesting statement I heard, which was, 
we're going to close our stores to focus on the online channel. I mean, what an amazing statement to make. That just shows that this is an individual that clearly doesn't understand that so many of their customers buy from them online because they can return to a store. Right. So I guess that surprises me, Brendan, because I would have thought that if I looked at it across many industries, the retail industry would know their customers best, right? Because the customer has unlimited choices and has had those for quite a while. So knowing your customer is a winning strategy. Yet your argument is that they sort of lost touch with the true behavior of the consumer along the way. And they're sticking to what they know versus what is actually transpiring in the consumer's mind and their behavior. Yeah. Is, that the, is that the big disconnect out there? Yeah, it's because we've had a fundamental shift that retailers have not caught up with. Retailers still believe that the products that they carry matter. They don't. They don't matter at all. It's the experience. It's the yeah. experience. And that's a way new way of thinking about it. And it gets people completely outside of their comfort zone. Remember, in the age of the customer, we've gotten into this era where consumers know they have choice. I know that I can get a Mr. Coffee Maker at about 100 different locations. I know I can buy a blue shirt like the one you're wearing right now, Victor, at about 1,000 different locations, right? I don't shop with people because of the products they carry. That's a given. Right. Mm -hmm. I shop with people because of the experiences they deliver. You know, finally, this past season, for example, Walmart's primary message on the holiday season was buy online, pick up and store, right? Because they recognized this is how we're going to win business. It's about showing customers it's not necessarily about the products. It's about us being able to create a better shopping experience for mm -hmm. you. So based on what you're saying, Brendan, clearly customer experience is important. But what is getting in the way today for retailers getting down into the operations of it? Where are people falling down? So most organizations still fail to, to look at the whole customer journey. Mm. Um, they, they fail to take the time to understand what do our customers need? Um, what are the experiences that they're having? And, and where are we not meeting their needs? And that's really, really, really important when you're planning out strategy because I get a lot of phone calls from our clients, for example, that talk to me about, okay, should we do what Starbucks is doing with a payments app? Should we do something else? Should we do what Sephora is doing or Home Depot or whatever? And it's I, a sort of strategy by me too kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, the, the whole idea is should we just copy somebody? Mm -hmm. And I say absolutely not. Like think about the Starbucks app. Right. That, that wasn't done by accident. It was done because 98% of the time you stand in line at Starbucks. You don't do that at Macy's. So it wouldn't make sense to do a payments right. app at Macy's, right? It's not tech for tech's sake. It's tech to solve a problem and solve a purpose. So it's, it's about first understanding each customer journey. Uh, larger stores or retailers have a challenge with that because they have many customer journeys. Mm -hmm. Someone will come in to buy toys or makeup or clothing, uh, men's clothing, children's clothing, women's clothing, and they're all on individual journeys. Um, these larger retailers still think, I need to have a solution for every customer or I'm going to do nothing which is why a lot of them are kind of stuck. So but they are you saying sort of pick your battles there or, I'm saying or prioritize you, your customer segments? Or I'm saying you need to actually build multiple customer mm -hmm. journeys and start thinking about what do each of these individuals look for or need in the experience. So uh, as you're thinking about when a customer comes in to buy makeup, you know, would the Sephora solution work for our stores? Yeah, probably would. It's just about making that investment, right. knowing that that's solved pain points. So earlier, Brendan, you said that some of the traditional retailers have an old version of the existing customer preferences and behaviors, and that has changed quite a bit. And journey mapping can be a method to reintroduce themselves to actually what are the current and expected customer preferences and behaviors. That, that Without that step, I'm applying old models to the current market. 
Yeah, I meet with with a lot of retailers and and I'll do uh, days where I'll sit with their executive team and go around the room and talk to them about their customers. It's amazing to me uh, how many times uh, a retailer will talk about the customer experience, the customer journey by saying the words, we want to. We want to do this for our customer. We want to do that for the customer. But what does your customer want to do? That's exactly what I'm waiting for someone to say is our customers want us to. And it's a slight difference, but it's a terribly important difference yeah. in understanding your customers. Usually those are the organizations where I dig in. I find that most of them are being driven by their opinion about what the customer wants and not actual data that proves what their customers want. I was going to say being data-driven, right? It's, They're not yeah. data-driven. And they, they make the assumption because they've, they've said, well, that's why I got hired, because I understand retail customers right. or I understand this space. I have 20 years in this space doesn't matter that you have 20 years in this space. The customer is not the same as they were 20 years ago. In a lot of companies, you know, not just in retail, have the problem of data being diverse and dispersed, I meaning in many systems. So it's not just that they want to or don't want to. There's a mechanically hard challenge in front of them to bring that data to get the 360-degree view that you referred to earlier. Yeah, the, the problem is that retailers have customer data often in, in over 10 locations. And there's something I like to say is that organizations are trying to get to this 360-degree view of the customer. If you have customer data in 10 locations, you don't have a 360-degree view of the customer. You have 10 36-degree views of right. the customer, and you can't really do much with that. For example, if you can just see what I do online, let, let's say I'm shopping for skis last month and you're tracking that data, you're going to continue talking to me about skis. But if I'm actually shopping in your stores looking at golf clubs at this point, then you're irrelevant to me. You're talking to me about something that I don't even care about anymore. And it's all because you've siloed out that piece of information about me and said, that's what we're going to talk to Brennan about. And you don't understand me well enough to continue talking to me. So it's about making the investments in all of your customer touch points. It's the enterprise level investment you need to make to make sure that we understand every part and piece of the customer journey and where we're missing customer data. This, this idea of individualization, the idea that in your case, Brendan says, I, not only do I want, but now I expect to have that knowledge of the golf clubs and skis be resident in the recommendation engine or even how I'm exposed to different products and that type of thing. If I get it from retailer one and don't get it from retailer two, I will go back to retailer one and I'll start dismissing retailer two. Oh, absolutely. That's actually the problem that's in play right and now. And your expectations are reset every time you have that preferable experience. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and what's interesting is that good personalization doesn't look like personalization. It just looks like a great experience. Yep. Yep. And so the customer doesn't say, oh, they're personalizing my experience for me. The customer says, I don't know why, but that just felt better. I got to the products that I needed faster. They talked to me in a relevant way. They showed me the things that I needed to see. They followed up in a way that made me feel good about myself. They showed me the services like Buy Online Pigment Store, which I like to use. All these are part of personalization, but they're only enabled because I understand the customer. I understand their preferences and their needs and how they shop and the things that they like, the products they like to see. All these parts and pieces of the customer come into play. And so individualizing that experience, creating that contextually relevant experience for consumers is key to differentiation. So like at 9 o'clock in the morning, I haven't experienced that. I experience it at 10 o'clock and it's surprising and wonderful. By 11 o'clock, it's normal. And by 12 o'clock, I expect it from everybody. That's sort of the problem that retailers are facing. That's absolutely right. And we tend to think of ourselves in an industry. We're all business people. We all think of retail day in, day out. I used to be a retailer, so I know that retailers think this way. They forget that when they go home, this is exactly how they live their lives. Right. Right. They do it to other people. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> they, they go home and they expect to have the kind of experiences that are the best experiences that they've had. So how do you measure great experiences? It's about that lifetime value of the customer. And a lot of times I get retailers telling me, We'll do things very often that's in the best interest of the company, 
that's not in the best interest of the customer. What I like to remind them is that disconnect between what's in the best interest of the company and not in the best interest of the customer only exists when your window of success is a very small window mm. of maybe a day or a week. Mm. When you open that window up and you look at the, re- the long term yeah, value yeah. of constantly doing what's wrong for the customer, I guarantee it's going to be constantly wrong for your business. Right. So we did some research for the customer obsessed assessment. And in this research, we had people sort of self select how far along the curve they were in terms of being customer obsessed, how far along the curve they were to understanding and really pleasing the customer on their terms. And what we found was most people felt they weren't very far along. But there's a second part of that was kind of interesting to me, which is they argued that to actually make that big step seemed so far out of reach. They didn't have the organization. They didn't have the culture. They didn't have the talent. And what they could achieve was more incremental gains. But your argument is that that's not enough. That's not sufficient. That speed really matters right now because there are choices that consumers are making as we speak about where they'll shop with you or ever return back to you. Yeah, you have to be moving at the speed of the customer. And I think it's important to note that it's not just your business operations. A lot of companies are focusing on their marketing and their e-commerce, and they're saying, okay, that's good enough. That's simply not good enough. The whole organization touches the customer, and it needs to be moving at the same rate. And so it's not just about speed. That's a, that's a given. Right. But it's also about speed within every part of your organization. That's really, really key. And we see a lot of companies failing to bring in other parts of the organization saying, you know, it's not good enough for just merchandising and e-commerce to have these really advanced tools. Our merchandising teams are still working on Excel documents. Right. Right. To, to do the sort of planning and they're working two or three months behind our customers. So over 50% of the purchases have a digital component to it. And increasingly so, those decisions are made in a digital standpoint. I, I'll decide to go into the store and I might even decide to buy that specific product at that price in a digital environment. So it's not just sufficient to be adequate at digital or, or the same as everybody else. I have to differentiate at digital. Yeah, you have to differentiate by creating unique experiences for your customers. It's not good enough to just deliver that spaghetti generic sort of, here you go, this is the right experience for everyone. It's about creating those customer journeys that are unique for each customer and allowing them to uh, experience uh, new ways of engaging, new ways of buying products and learning about products, understanding products. And each customer is different. You're going to have some customers that come to your website, they're very familiar with your products and they just want to get to their product and move on. There's a lot of customers that say, I need to learn as I shop. And so each customer is different. You have to give them different avenues for doing that. So you have to be great at digital, um, but that really involves experiences and involves all the parts and pieces of digital. And it goes back to the knowledge of the customer that are going through those journeys. That's you really right. have to know those well. That's right. It's, it's, it's critical. If you don't understand your customer, then you don't have a choice but to do just bland, generic sort of right. uh, experiences for them. And I will point out, I think it's very important. I, I hear, again, retailers telling me, you know, we're going to go online and compete there because we're not going to focus on our stores anymore. And I think that is a disaster. Why? Because the web is the great equalizer, right? A new company like Orchard Mile looks just as good as a traditional company like Macy's Online. They both have a website. They both have products. They both have a checkout, right? Differentiating online is even harder. And let's be clear, Amazon has done well online. Nobody's going to knock Amazon off in 2017. This is where they're going to play. It is not good business strategy to go after someone's core capability and try to beat them at their own game. The way to win in business is to find what you can do that someone else can't do and then do that. So in 2017 and beyond, is the customer reinventing retail 
and our retailers sort of buying into that premise? Consumers today have told us that one of the most valuable things that an organization can do for them is to value their time. Yep. And so how do you value my time? You don't make me um, look for things. Yeah, don't make or, me work for it. Right? Don't, don't make me try to find everything. Don't, don't, don't hide information from me. Allow me to go on the journey that I want to go on. Great fulfillment is one part. How important is it for folks to use technology like artificial intelligence for recommendation engine and others to really inspire customers, to give them things that they never thought were possible, to sort of trigger different emotions and different buying patterns? So the right answer to that is that retailers today need to focus on not being cute about things, just deliver good customer experiences. Organizations focusing on robots and AI and all these kinds of new ways of doing things, that's not necessary when you still have bad customer experiences mm -hmm. in your buy online, pick up and store program, right? right? We just did a survey coming out of the NRF show asking, you know, over 80 industry professionals, what are you focusing on? And by far and away, they were focusing on omnichannel, personalization, in-store technology, and good analytics, right? Core, Core things you need. And what made it to the bottom of the list? Virtual reality, artificial intelligence, mm. internet of things, and distributed commerce, right? These are things that they're saying. When we ask them why, why do these things fall to the bottom? They're like, because the customer doesn't expect it from me yet. I don't need to go there. So the idea is to be differentiated on the basics, on the basis of the business from discovery all the way to fulfillment. Be yeah. great at that. Yeah, I'll tell you what. If you can just nail getting personalization right and creating yep. great customer experience, you are differentiated in yep. the retail space today. So 16 was a good year. We have retailers coming out, some saying they're struggling, some doing well. You're talking about getting back to basics and being expert in the business again. When you wrap it all into a ball, what does it all mean? So from a strategic standpoint, um, companies need to stop asking what do we want to do and start asking what do customers want to do. They need to get back to the basics of understanding their customers and laying that out and saying, do we really know our customers? Do we really understand them? Do we know what they want? And do we currently have gaps in our digital technologies to solve the problems that our customers have during the shopping journey? Like that is the core of what they need to start doing. And what it means is that the organization needs to stop relying on the digital team to solve everything and instead take a step back and saying, we are an organization that needs to become a digital team, right? It's all parts and yep. pieces of the organization. And many companies haven't done that step yet. And so it's about taking a step back and saying, where are the pain points for the customers and how do we solve them? Thanks for joining us, Brendan. Thank you. It's been a pleasure to be here. Yeah, thank you. If you like what you heard today, please subscribe to Forrester's What It Means podcast on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or TuneIn. And don't forget to leave us a review. To continue the conversation, follow Forrester on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.